Hello, welcome to the Methods Podcast. My name is Hannah Pinnock. As part of the Digital Leaders Innovation Week this year, Jane Fallon, who is Methods Digital Director for the Midlands, and I explored how local government can adopt design and digital in order to meaningfully transform. This episode was recorded on the 11th of November, 2021. Hello and good morning and welcome to day four of Innovation Week uh, and this morning's salon with methods. Uh, our topic is how local government can adopt design and digital and why it needs to. Um, so the power of design is well documented and evidenced across the board and we have seen central government transform over the last decade. Departments have begun to enthusiastically adopt agile and become more human centred. But our conjecture is that this change has not filtered through to local government in the same way. And our speakers today will be exploring how the structures and governments of local government actively resist the adoption of design approaches and discuss how we begin to clear the way for design and digital so that citizens and businesses can benefit from improved public services that will better meet their needs. So our two speakers are Hannah Pinnock. Hannah works at the intersection of design and strategy, helping public sector organizations progress along their digital transformation journey. She's most passionate about the power of organizational culture in creating environments where individuals and teams are able to fulfill their potential and deliver seamless services. And Hannah is joined by Jane Fallon. Uh, Jane is a respected and experienced leader in digital. She's built and led teams in central and local government utilizing a human-centered design. Jane's worked at the Government Digital Service, the Ministry of Justice, and is now heading up uh, digital for the Midlands for methods. Uh, Jane is passionate about advising on the strategy and cultural changes needed to embed a human-centered design and agile approach in central and local government. Hannah, Jane, the floor is yours. Thank you very much. I hope everyone can hear me okay. And I have to start with an apology. I've got a very heavy cold, courtesy of my uh, little son. So for anyone else who's old enough, I sound like Poodle, the little one of the flumps with my blocked nose. But I hope you can hear me okay. So we wanted to talk about just recapping why we truly believe that a human-centered design and digital approach is important right now to uh, local public services. And then bring, uh, bring in a cathartic way, I think, so some challenges that we've seen across lots of different people and how they've been tackling it, which is the most important thing and making that change. And then moving on to just some little ideas about getting started. And if there's any time at the end, we'd love your questions. So before we start, I think it's useful to make sure we're all on the same page by what we mean by the word digital. Uh, and I'm stealing the definition of digital as a reference point from uh, an old colleague of mine from GDS, Tom Loosemore, and it describes much more about than just the technology. It's a way of tackling challenges using methodologies and approaches from the internet age, and in particular, iterative delivery and user or human-centered design. Next slide, please. So why is design so important? And I hope this picture sort of really demonstrate it. Public services that are designed tend to evolve with pieces added in as hoc as either new needs arrive or new types of solutions become available or bits of technology uh, become available or go out of service. And then the success of those public services is often measured on component KPIs rather than achieving an overall outcome for a, a resident, a citizen or a business. Uh, 
It might be that we measure it on a time to answer a call or a time to respond to a call. And by doing this, we can sometimes lose sight of what the actual problems and challenges are for the citizens we serve and whether these organically built components and services are actually helping them. So human-centred design is a problem-solving approach uh, that puts citizens, staff, businesses, users at the heart of the process to design and deliver a product or a service. And it can also be applied in, a, in an organisation design or, or systems thinking context. In practice, it means um, a couple of things. Designing services that are fit for purpose, services that are based on user need, genuine user needs and actually work really well. Uh, it's about designing for everyone. It's about ensuring we design, what we design is, is accessible and is inclusive for, for all. And in a government context where budgets are really tight and teams are stretched, human-centered design often goes hand in hand with agile delivery. And this really means incremental delivery, which is low risk, meaning that we fail fast and, 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 um, and deliver quickly. But ultimately, government bodies exist to serve citizens. And they we have a responsibility to deliver really good public services and um and really we should be leading the way in terms of um, accessibility and inclusion making the change so we know from listening to and working with people in local authorities there are loads of great people actively working to make a change in how to design and deliver local public services and they are starting to make starting to make this change which is brilliant but for many more time is spent maneuvering and dealing with blockers than is actually challenged into that improving services work and I think a fundamental reason why it can seem so hard to those making the change is when it's first talked about agile delivery and design, it's treated as just another project delivery model with maybe different documents, but nothing else is changed. And I think that's the issue. This isn't just about a change of delivery model for a project. It's a different way of working that touches on all parts of the organization. It's culture, governance, processes and structure. To really embed it successfully, you need to look at all these things. You can't just lift and shift from running waterfall projects to agile design and delivery. We've seen a number of common patterns of what the challenges are and ideas on how to manage this to open the door for human-centered design. And we're going to walk you through some of these. Leadership. So before, generally, before you can even start or, or, or quite early on, there needs to be buy-in from the top that this is the right approach to take. We've spoken on earlier about why we think human-centered design and a digital approach is crucial right now to improving local public services. From my experience, that isn't a particularly widely held view or even understood. Uh, I'd be really interested if I could to run a survey on what this concept means to leaders across local government. I reckon there'd be loads of different answers. And obviously there are two really large groups of leadership in local authorities, particularly compared to central government. We've got the political and the operational. And to begin the journey, we absolutely need to win the hearts and minds of both from my experience. So it's about bringing senior leadership on board. And from my experience, the most compelling way of doing this is showing examples from elsewhere where it's been done to gain their trust and buy-in and particularly where you can get them to hear direct from citizens who've benefited and staff who've benefited from this approach. It is about building senior leadership understanding and bringing them along the journey. 
I also think it really helps to look at measuring how you measure organisational performance against outcomes achieved for citizens. We can actually unintentionally obscure the difficulties for citizens and businesses by focusing on those very granular KPIs, such as we might have a really quick time taken to answer a call. Whilst this is still important, if that call shouldn't need it to have been made in the first place, we need to understand that too. We need to see that bigger, bigger picture. There are lots of brilliant examples of great leadership teams moving towards a digital approach. And we can no longer afford to have councillors who don't do digital. I'm sure lots of people working in local government would have heard that phrase. Hearing from peers has been a great way of sharing learning, learning and also starting really simple, showing leaders how they already use digital in their day-to-day -day life, online banking, ordering, shopping online and social media. It's about making it easier for, for leaders to better understand key concepts and really important, making it safe for them to ask questions. We always expect leaders to have answers. We need to give them a safe space to ask questions too. Okay, so we think of digital transformation as being something that sits with and is owned by IT and digital teams, and it does often start there. Digital teams certainly need to be flying a flag for design and digital, but inevitably, like this approach does need to be adopted across the whole organisation. So bringing in uh, wider colleagues in, in really key areas is really crucial to, I think, breaking down silos, building that momentum, making that change really stick in the long term. Um, there needs to be someone who is that clear leader who is accountable for championing that human-centred design approach across the organisation. And I've seen in, in um, lots of councils, this is often the CIO role or the assistant director in IT and digital. Um, but in organisations that have a low digital and design maturity, which like, almost all councils do, um, this person does need to have a really strong voice that's listened to in the ranks above them. And ideally, this digital and design leader is actually at the most senior level in the organization at that kind of director level. Otherwise, there's always the danger that their voice is, is going to be drowned out or ignored. When we talk about design, what are we actually designing? What is the service we are talking about? So there has been some helpful discussion on, on how to actually define what a service is. Uh, starting in central government, which is in essence something that helps a citizen achieve a particular outcome and the service is focused on that from start to finish. And some of that translates, translates okay to local public services, for example, help me pay my council tax. It's short, it's transactional, but actually what local authorities often do and in partnership with a range of other agencies is much more complex. Uh, services are, are much more about how people live their lives. Keep me and my family together in a safe home, you know, might be something that a citizen is looking to achieve. Uh, I don't think the central government approach maps really easily there. We need to look at these outcomes, how they can be achieved across a range of partners and how on earth we can measure if what we're doing is making a difference. And I'm not going to say that's an easy undertaking, but I think it's a really important step to then help you look at improvements. I do think local authorities have a very different relationship with residents and businesses. It's often much more personal and less transactional, but nevertheless, it's still services. The second thing about trying to look end to end, just to make things workable, 
most local authorities, understandably, aren't typically set up to think about that end-to-end -end service. Different operational leaders are currently responsible for different bits of the journey. So the comms team might run the website. You've got another team running the call centre, someone else running uh, field staff and frontline staff and so forth. So it can make it really difficult to assign accountability to drive end-to-end -end service design and improvements. But we've seen that it can be done. It helps to step back and look at the big picture and see the whole service as one interconnected thing with lots of different touch points for citizens, businesses and staff. And starting to draw out some of those uh, services, I just think is really key so you can get an understanding of where you're focused. A central government department and agencies might do about four things. Uh, most local authorities do, do a lot more. And I think that's a much bigger job for local authorities. Governance. So from working with local authorities and speaking to others, sometimes this is the most fundamental and frustrating of barriers, although it's certainly not just a barrier for local government. Current funding and governance models are not an easy fit with this iterative, agile approach. You need to be able to move quickly through your discovery alpha and through to iterative delivery in beta. And this doesn't necessarily fit with some very lengthy approval cycles, which are set generally for huge amounts. And there's the structure of the business case. I think it's still easy, generally far easier to get sign off for something off the shelf with a definite price, even if it doesn't meet all the user needs or is not based on user research, than it is to get funding for a discovery or alpha. Or indeed, that's the case in lots of local authorities, certainly not all. And this goes back to an earlier point I made where digital is just seen as a technology product to buy and not a way of working. I can completely understand why when faced with rising debts and lower income, there is little appetite to take what might be seen as a change and a risk. But, but let's sort of, sort of drill down into the risk. If we are really honestly focused on achieving outcomes, perhaps buying something that hasn't been designed and developed around user needs is a much bigger risk than taking the time to understand and design a service around them. Continually managing with aging and silo technology is not just a risk, it's, it's a live issue now and not one commonly understood by the bottom line figure on a business case. We've been doing some work to see if some of the principles and goals of spend control, which was applied in central government, can be applied at least within one local authority. And perhaps if people agree to work together, maybe across more. Uh, I, I'd be personally uh, would love to have this conversation with you if you're interested in exploring that. We aren't the first to say <laughs> an alternative model to funding projects in a digital world is funding teams who can work on what's been prioritised by the leadership team. We've seen some good examples of some hybrid models of this. I'll be watching as more grow over time. The skills you usually find in digital teams are now being seen as essential permanent needed skills in some local authority organizations and proper headcount is being assigned. Uh, it's been done in Hackney, uh, in Essex, and I think Greenwich is doing some really interesting ways of doing some recruitment as a recent example. Okay, so uh, public servants, uh, as many of you probably know, are often instinct led and are making decisions based on gut feel. Um, but I really think it's 
essential that our leaders start to use data and evidence to make uh, to, to guide and make these decisions instead. Um, we need to make it safe for decision makers to go against their instinct, instincts and be guided by the evidence and to start to see data in a real sort of holistic way. Um, and I think the only way of holding senior leaders to, to account on this is to actually have them publish decisions that they've made and the evidence that they've used to make them, you know, we've drawn on this, these data sets or, you know, this census data or, or whatever. Um, and I think in practice, you can demonstrate this approach in one directorate to start with and get buy-in and, and then roll it out more widely. And as part of my work in Birmingham, we've been um, exploring how that would work. And, and I think we'll be starting in IT&D uh, as sort of a, I guess, a eating our own dog food um, approach. Um, but in order to, to make, make it happen and for, for decisions to be made based on evidence, you actually have to have data available and, and easy to access, which really isn't an easy thing to achieve in local authorities. Um, and then it's about making that data really meaningful. Um, some local authorities can be exceptionally hierarchical, but we need to make it okay to bring a data analyst or a user researcher or, or, or whatever into, a, into the room with senior leaders to really bring to life what that evidence is telling us. I find that so often the nuance of the evidence we're looking at gets lost in translation between layers of seniority, and we really shouldn't expect our senior leaders to be data wizards. They just need to be comfortable like relying on the experts and bringing those people into, into the room. Um, we also see a lot of staff and local authorities make the assumption that we already know everything about our service users, and we really, really don't. Um, I often see teams relying on a small sort of citizen panel uh, who become expert users in, um, in time of being involved, and, and they then get to guide a huge number of decisions for the much wider population. Citizen panels do not replace genuine user research with a representative cross-section of users, and, and they just never will. And finally, on, on decision-making, like not everything can be a priority, otherwise nothing is a priority and nothing moves forward. You have to choose what your priorities are, and there can only be a few, maybe three maximum. Thank you. While this talk is focused on bringing in design, I just want to touch really briefly on the technology that then backs up how you deliver to that design. Uh, historically, local government has followed the well-trodden path of buying a system for an area of the business, housing, for example, and then working business processes business processes and citizen interactions around it. These systems have not always been designed from a human-centered design approach. They also tend from a technology standpoint to be really locked in. They can prevent data sharing or make uh, making changes really expensive. Uh, some are, are, are quite old now and written in programming languages that are generally retired. Uh, I remember working somewhere where there was only really one contractor we could find who could update some uh, off the shelf technology and he was based up in Scotland. Uh, tech debt becomes just such a big issue. Moving away from this wholesale in local government is never going to happen, but it does need to be chipped away at. The problem you get yourself in is you can't afford to do anything new if all your people are required to continually scoop out the water of a sinking ship to keep live services running, and that's a really vicious cycle to be in. I know one of the aims of the local digital declaration was to allow local authorities to put more pressure on suppliers 
to meet the ways of working local government needs. For example, opening up interoperability. I managed to say that word with a cold. Uh, I'd love to hear if that is actually happening for, for you. Central government design and development had massive pots of money to play with, uh, and they did, and they do a lot more build and very little buy. What they do do and still do is buy in development teams. Local government isn't set up and it shouldn't repeat this model. It can't afford to, it doesn't make fiscal sense. But looking at smaller tech components and reuse both within an organization and I think crucially across different bits of local government is vital for the future. I am not saying to centralise services, but sharing and reuse is a different model. And there are some really exciting examples coming up uh, about how that's being done, particularly in the shared and reuse platform space. Uh, and I'm really keen to, have, to hear how people are, are, are managing those. Absolutely. So um, to do human-centred design well, we need to work in multidisciplinary teams with a big range of different skill sets. We need user researchers, service designers, user experience designers, content designers, product people, and so forth. All of these skill sets are currently in short supply and we're really seeing a huge amount of movement in the labor market in, in this sector at the moment. And it's really not easy for local authority teams to hire in-house. Um, central government have been on this journey for much longer and they have mostly established digital teams and they have developed some really excellent resources um, uh, on gov.uk if you want to have a look explaining the different roles and you've they detail the different kind of levels of each role skills functions of a team etc so do take a look if you're interested um, central government have been fortunate uh, they've had the money to establish these teams and they now offer more competitive salaries for local government though growing your own talent sharing across different local authorities, you know, having a, a pool of user researchers that are shared across a, um, a consortium or, or whatnot, um, and hiring in some really good rounded people are going to be important and, and, and even key to making it practically possible to um, move along this kind of digital transformation journey. These skills, they're not generalist, and the package Packages that are um, competitive really don't often align to the internal grades of local government, and these are typically based on how many people are role managers, which is just not really relevant in this in this industry in the same way. Um, we also need to make job descriptions really attractive to people in this industry. They need to be exciting. They need to be advertised all over social media, and this is something the Welsh Local Gov Association are, are currently aiming aiming to achieve. Um, some organizations hold information evenings and so for people to drop in, hear more about the, the roles that are advertised, the culture of the team, the types of work that's being done. And these are really great opportunities to get people excited about working in the local gov context. Um, I, I really believe that the work done in local government is so important and has a real impact on the lives of citizens. And we need to capitalize on this opportunity because more than ever before, people care about doing meaningful work. And, and this is only going to increase as, as you know, generations come through. Having said that, drawn out recruitment processes really put off prospective candidates. So we need to get fast, much faster at hiring in, in local gov. Um, People in digital and design roles are used to working in environments that are conducive with agile working with colleagues who are, you know, digital natives or something close to that. 
Um, Hackney did a really brilliant job of building its digital team over a few years, and, and that is certainly paying dividends um, for them as a council now. One of the things they did was give their team MacBooks and stickers, um, as well as appropriate tools for collaborative working. They don't use Microsoft, they use Google. And you know, these things send a signal to the team and the people you know, around them that this is a modern place to work. You know, we're gonna give you the right tools to do the job. And it really makes these kind of digital natives feel at home. So we've talked about skills and governance amongst others, but for me, it's really about the culture of an organization. It's about the environment and the ways of working that are really at the crux of how we, we make this happen. Working in the open is a key part of digital delivery. It's about sharing what you're doing. It's about inviting discussion along the way, being open to feedback. You know, we do retros as part of agile delivery and it's, it's kind of building on that. We wanna be sharing through week notes, show and tells, you know, putting your project work up on the walls so it's visible for others to engage with, um, being open about what's worked, mistakes we've made, the subsequent learnings is really important in terms of creating safety. We all have um, successes and failures, right? And we can learn from each other's successes and failures. <clears throat> Encouraging leaders in particular to be open about their, their own learnings and the learning journey they're on really creates a sense of psychological safety for everyone. And that will trickle down to teams on the ground if they see um, senior leaders kind of paving the way. Um, and in, in Hackney, again, the, the team co-designed the, the Hackett Manifesto, which has 11 principles, including things like share, don't send, accessibility always, people first, think big, act small. And when they designed that manifesto, the leadership set out that if the team acts in accordance with that manifesto, they will always be supported. And so the intention was really to create a culture of experimentation through psychological safety, where teams are completely trusted to do their jobs. Um, and, you know, I think it's been been very effective. Very quickly, I truly believe one of the success stories in local government is that of collaboration across design and digital teams. But I just think the potential there is is for so much more. The speed and turnaround and delivery through the COVID lockdown was just phenomenal. And many achieved that via sharing. Speaking to the Welsh Local, local Government Association, their purpose is to facilitate moving councils from a state of competition to collaboration to mutual support. Lottie is doing the same job across London and it's another great example. Also, one team gov local I've seen is beginning to really ramp up. As we've said, sharing designs, patterns, talking communities of practice. This is happening at a team level and people do it, need to be given real time to, work, to put to it collaboration and sharing how problems are being tackled and cultures reshaped to me is the way forward. And finally, just a quick note on language. Um, in some areas of government, leaders are actively bridging the gap between the digital people and the technology people. Um, they're using language really carefully in order to not alienate one group from the other. Um, instead, they're kind of using plain English, neutralizing terms, avoiding, avoiding controversial terms like agile. Um, and this really helps to foster a shared sense of purpose and, and break down those silos. So how on earth do you get started? So you've got to start somewhere and starting small is always, is always good. Um, so maybe try week notes. They don't have to be weekly, but um, you know, working in the open, sharing what you're doing, do a show and tell for, for some of the project work you're doing. Um, 
be really explicit about the culture change required and the journey that you're on, you know, um, it, it will take time and it's not going to happen overnight, but, but kind of putting it out in the open that we are on a journey to change our culture is, you know, says something about your culture in itself. Um, be open about the things you're learning and the journey you're on and try to establish that learning journey from bottom to top if you can. Um, know that we don't know everything about our user, users and everyone should be exposed to outputs from user research like regularly every kind of couple of months or so. Um, I saw something on Twitter this week or last week maybe about um, uh, having a sign on the wall that said um, we last, you know, the, the, how long it's been since we last did user research or the date we last did user research and, um, and it being a really kind of visible, powerful, uh, you know, message to everyone that actually we have to be, you know, doing this regularly. Um, make sure you take a, a step back and look at that end-to-end -end service, um, look at the big picture. Uh, question how we measure success. You know, do our current KPIs tell us how we're really serving residents? Are they meaningful? We need to be measuring out against outcomes, not just KPIs. Um, learn from as many people as possible who are already working in the open. Like Twitter is, a, is an amazing resource. Um, there's loads of events, blogs, podcasts. There's the local gov Slack. There's the one team local gov, uh, one team gov local gov events. Um, there's lots going on, and and you know reach out to people for help. People are really willing to to share their their learnings and their and their journey. Um, and finally, it's okay not to know. Um, like you don't have to know everything. We're all on a journey here, and and you know every senior leader should get better and and practice openly sharing the things they're learning. The, there's useful sources of information that they're, they're, they're using. Um, and, you know, we need to normalize not knowing all the things um, and that learning is, is for everyone. So thank you very much for listening. Um, and I think we've probably got a few minutes for questions. I think there's maybe one or two that have popped into the chat. So over to you, Robin. Brilliant, thanks both so much. Really comprehensive um, review kind of every time I thought oh I've got a question to ask them you then went on and kind of discussed it so um yeah we are we are a little limited on time I've got a, a, a couple of things that I want to ask we have had one person sort of um asking for help so we'll be making some connections after the yeah. event so we can just sort of connect you so I've got a couple of questions um you talked sort of early on about how important it is for leaders you know how important leadership is and then you know how tough it is for leaders in local government maybe to to engage with this stuff so uh, how you know if the people at the top understand what you've just said and believe in it then that just changes the whole opportunity doesn't it so how tough is that um if i can start i think it really ranges from from the starting point for different people okay. so, so um so there's two things that i think are really hard as a leader you're expected to know all the all the answers and certainly in the past, it, it was a given view that you understood the, the residents, citizens that you represented more than anyone. And this approach invo involves much more of a sort of a humility approach, which says we don't know the answers. So rather than saying this is what we're going to do and sponsoring a team to deliver, you are going to sponsor a team to find out all about the challenges and how best to make those solutions. It's a very different type of leadership. And I think some people uh, make the leap more easily than others. Uh, and I think as well, it can sometimes, and, and I'll, you know, <laughs> Hannah's younger than me and, and I sort of like make a joke about being an old person. 
you know, we sometimes we need help and sometimes we need to be able to ask questions about, I don't understand this, I've not come across this before. And I just think it's so important to uh, have an open culture where that can be done from anyone across the organization and we can't expect everyone to have the answers and maybe if, if leaders have been in that position for quite some time they won't have grown this uh, sort of way of working organically and having an opportunity to learn that I think I think would be great um, so, so that's sort of understanding the approach and then there's that fiscal um, responsibility that goes with going with, with being a leader in government and that's a really hard job. It always has been, and it particularly is at the moment. And therefore saying, well, we're going to start a piece of work, but we're not quite sure where it's going to end up. I can completely understand where they're like, wait a minute, I, I can't do this at the moment. So it's about assuring them that this approach is actually about minimizing risk along the way and avoiding some of the problems you've got, got, got going on rather than the other way around. But I think it's about not being patronizing. It's about being listening and understanding the pressures that leadership are under and how we can best support them with that because those pressures are just growing every single day and and if i can join you jane in the kind of older category i think i think that approach is totally counterintuitive isn't it because you get to be a leader by being someone who appears to always know the answer <laughs> and be in control of the facts and be leading the way forward and have a strategy. So saying, oh no, we're on a burning platform or we, we need to make fundamental change and I don't know what those changes are, is just utterly counterintuitive and particularly tough for politicians, I think. Mm. And then the second thing I wanted to ask you about was you touched on COVID and kind of the, just the, you know, the, the forced need for rapid user-centered change is that as, as kind of a lot of those lessons going to stick or are you concerned that people will go back to the old normal uh post you know as we come out of this pandemic i, I think for, for obviously we only work with certain authorities uh, and i can only speak for them uh, but from the ones i've seen it's sticking to a certain degree but it's counterbalanced by that pressure that that fiscal pressure that i just talked about and it's giving that opportunity for that to happen. What I have think it has done, it's given a hunger in staff who've seen there's a different way of working to really put that pressure on. So it's about supporting them in doing what they can, even if it's very incremental in a way to make that happen. So I think it's given a hunger and open people's eyes that there is a way of doing di things differently, but a lot of the, the, the governance and structure was kind of put on hold for COVID and has now come back in. So it's about understanding that actually, if we want to make, these make this happen, we, ha we need to look at everything in the round and how that can support that way of working. Yeah, Hannah? Yeah, I think um, from the public's perspective, they, the public was very tolerant of these sort of like pop-up pop services that we that were stood up very quickly. And now it's, you know, we're 18 months in and actually there is a, they're sort of not going to be tolerant of these sort of subpar, but very quickly put together services forever. And, and actually now we need to kind of formalise um, those, those things and, and do them properly, actually. Um, so I think... Um, from the public's perspective, yeah, there's a sort of a, maybe a, a, the public certainly has, I think, reverted to um, COVID is kind of a done and dusted. It's a done thing, right? And now we've just got to, it's now business as usual. Um, so yeah, councils have to react to that, I think, and, and, and stand up services that are better thought through um, in the long, for the long term. 
Brilliant. Okay, I think that I think we probably have to finish on on that point. Thank you, everybody that um, that took part. Uh, we've recorded today's session. It will go live onto Innovation Week site. It'll be sent out to everybody who registered. Okay. Thank you today. very much for your time, everyone. Really appreciate it. Yes. It's been great. Thank you. Yes, I think special thanks to Jane for battling through. <laughs> Yeah, I called and the, um, <laughs> very bravely, but Looking yes, let me just me. finish by thanking Jane Fallon and Hannah Pinnock from Methods. And uh, thank you so much to both of you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us and thanks for joining everyone. Thank you. Take care.